dinner parties can be very good experiences when people converse easily over a range of topics and when other points of view are put and listened to politely, when the vibe is positive and the ambience is good, such dinner parties are a joy. But you must choose your invited guests carefully. One whole group of people from whom it would be difficult to invite anyone as dinner guests would be the old prophet of Israel from the Old Testament. Most of them seem to have got out of bed on the wrong side. They were an irascible, argumentative bunch of chaps. No women among them, you'll notice. They criticised just about everyone and they criticised just about everything. They had little to say that was uplifting and comforting. But note, not nothing to say that was comforting, but little to say that was such. Our readings here in church over the past month or so have been from the prophet Hosea. And on the whole, Hosea has been pretty miserable. But our reading this morning is from the prophet Isaiah. And he too has negative things to say. But in all fairness to the prophets, they were aware of the standard that God had set and they were hyper aware that the people had wandered away from those standards and had turned their back on the covenant that God had made with them. The people needed correction and they needed to be told just where it was in their lives they had gone away from what God had set down for them. Let's remind ourselves about what the prophet Isaiah spoke in the first chapter of the book that bears his name. And we read that chapter just a few minutes ago. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams, fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. And so so Isaiah went on representing God's dismay and God's dislike of lots of things that were being done. If religious ceremony and worship were simply outward show and there was no inward devotion that observed the deeper ethical and moral implications of the faith, then all that religious ceremony was useless. But let's be careful to be clear, however. Isaiah was not condemning religious ceremony as such. He was condemning religious ceremony that did not lead its observers into deeds and words and attitudes that stood up for the poor and for people who had no influence. And so they might have had all these observances of new moons and appointed festivals. But because they did not lead the people who were observing them to do anything for the poor, to do anything for the powerless, all those things had become a burden to God and he was weary of bearing them. Now we could take verses 11 to 14 from Isaiah 1 as saying, 
God is against religious ceremony. God is against attendance at worship. God is against offerings and sacrifices. God is against holy days and festivals. But that is not what the context says. And that is why when we read the Bible, it's important to read around and after and before verses so that we might really know truly what is being said. The reason for God's displeasure and for Isaiah's trenchant criticism is found in verse 15. Your hands are full of blood. And in verse 16, you are doing evil. And in verse 17, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. It's as though God was saying to Isaiah, inside the temple, worship with all your heart. Even more importantly, inside your heart, worship with all your faculties. Outside the temple, live morally, live compassionately, live with the needs of others always before you and do what you can to assist them. Much later in history, when St James wrote his epistle, he said in chapter 1 and verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Amen, thundered Isaiah. And Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, there at the altar, there in the very act of worship, there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Worship is not just words to God. Worship has this other dimension as well. And amen, said Isaiah again to Jesus' words. And yes, indeedy, said St. James to Jesus' words. But the prophets also had very positive and good things to say. And in today's reading, Isaiah gives us one of the warmest and strongest verses of our scriptures. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes, and cease to do evil. There's a bit in the welcome sheet about washing in Bible times, and it's a pretty gruesome experience. And then Isaiah went on and said, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as wool, white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, thou shalt become like wool. Sin and rebellion and departure from God has to be recognised for what it is. But God always holds out hope for people. Hosea showed God's agony about the rebellious people of Israel and Judah and God's love for them, even though they were rebellious. Last Sunday we had that almost heartbreak coming out of the heart of God. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? Hosea had earlier reported God's loving response to unfaithful people. 
I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love, in mercy and in faithfulness. God's heart ached for these people who had turned their back on him. Now, I know that here at St Matthew's you are very familiar with the word and the concept of shalom. It's one of the great ideas of the Old Testament and of the whole Bible. But I'd like to add another word to your theological lexicon, and that word is hesed. Its translation is loving kindness. And it was used by Hosea and that, in that passage I've just quoted from chapter 2. I will betroth you to me in loving kindness. This word hesed, or to pronounce it properly, chesed, is most frequently found in the Psalms. But also comes in Hosea and in Jeremiah chapter 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love, said Jeremiah. Therefore I have continued my chesed, my loving kindness to you. Hesed is most often used to describe God's character. Many places in the scripture speak of the loving kindness of God. I, the Lord, show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus chapter 20. Loving kindness is a part of who God is. Loving kindness is what God delights in showing in Micah chapter 7. And we praise God in Psalm 138 for this part of God's character. I will praise you because of your chesed. And so chesed or loving kindness is most often used to describe God's heart towards those who are his own. Loving kindness is God's kindness and steadfast love for his children, especially evident in meeting our needs. In scripture, God shows his loving kindness in saving his children from their enemies and delivering them out of all their troubles. His loving kindness comforts us. His loving kindness redeems us from sin. His loving kindness assures us of his promises. God's loving kindness is abundant, great in extent, everlasting, full of goodness. God's loving kindness, his steadfast love, his loving actions on our behalf know no bounds. Your loving kindness is great in the heavens and your truth to the clouds. When you uh, go to the website to see this sermon, if you want to follow it up, all the references to all those things are there. It is this part of God's character that causes God to hang in there and to continue hanging in there with people who rebel against him, with people who forsake his ways, with people who turn their worship into mere show without any devotion. Loving kindness causes God to hang in there with those who simply forget God or take God for granted. The New Testament fulfills and expands this concept of God's loving kindness to us 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the breadth and the depth of God's loving kindness, chesed, shown in Jesus. The chesed of the Old Testament becomes the agape of the New Testament. What we saw in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 is fulfilled in John 3.16. The Old Testament and the New Testament both describe God's character as being love. 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love and those who abide in God abide in love. And for many of us here this morning, most of us here this morning, all of us here this morning, this has been our experience. At some stage in our lives, we have experienced the great love of God that is revealed in the Son. And we have voluntarily put our lives into the loving and caring, loving kindness of God. Because we have experienced the chesed of God, we have decided to put our lives as part of God's reign. And here this morning, as we have the service of Holy Communion, as we receive the bread and as we take the wine or juice of Holy Communion, we could make that simple act this morning our own expression of gratitude to God's loving kindness shown to us in Jesus' death and resurrection. And that simple act of receiving the bread and receiving the wine or juice this morning could be the outward expression of our determination to, to do all we can to live in that love and to show it to others.